into the area. Janček, stab through, chance, shot, goal! Full stop! Unbelievable scenes at the end for the derby! Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. Hello, welcome. Um, what language are we going to speak in today, predominantly? Because we've got a, a boy from um, from Australia, from Adelaide. We've got a boy from who knows where you are from up north, a boy from Pennycook and a boy from Bonnerick. So what, what's going to be the common language today? <laughs> Well, definitely not English from what you've just said. <laughs> How are you? Very well. I, I, I'm looking forward to to this week's episode. And if our, um, our, our pre-recording chat is anything to go by, um, my usual role of um, constant digging at Ryan McGowan might actually be obsolete this week. Hey, Mr. McGowan, how are you? Very well, thank you. Looking forward to... Having a good chat with the boys, catching up. You say looking forward to it, but I've been I've been sending WhatsApps to you and sending WhatsApps to our guests, just just trying to stir the pot a little bit, trying go. to <laughs> trying to get a little bit of, a little bit of dig, a little bit of needle about this episode because someone who, of course, Ryan knows very well, having played played under him and probably drank a few beers with him as well, and everyone associated with Hearts knows very well because it is. Mr. Hearts himself. We're delighted to be joined by Gary Locke. How are you doing, lads? You okay? Very well, thank uh, you. How are you? Fantastic. Yes, I good. Good. Uh, looking forward to the start of the season. Been to quite a few of the friendlies so far, so things are looking good. Hopefully another couple of signings to come, and then hopefully the boys can hit the ground running against Ross County in a couple of weeks. Are you um, going to Tynecastle this weekend, Gary? <laughs> I might go. I think I might go with that. Um... I right, looking forward to it. You know, I think it'll hopefully be a good game first and foremost. You know, it's decent opposition in Stoke, and uh, I just looking forward to the whole weekend. To be fair, I've got a lot of family and friends that have come into the game. A lot of ex-players, if the ball are turning up, um, <laughs> uh, so I look forward to seeing everybody. And I just hope you know the people that do come to the game. I hope they'll have a nice time and get the wee chance to hopefully see a couple of the new signings. And uh, I've. Is, is Anne going to let you into Tynecastle after you shared that picture of Lawrence Shankland? <laughs> I know, I couldn't believe that the day, to be fair. It just shows you, though, you know, social media these days, it's, it's incredible. You know, you, he was obviously in having a look around Tynecastle. Um, I don't think he's actually signed yet. And, you know, somebody that was helping, I think, fix the floodlights or something. <laughs> took a photograph within seconds. It's all over social media. So that's the that's the sort of world we're living in at the minute. But it's it's no easy now to try and you know credit to Joe Savage. Joe's absolutely brilliant at keeping things under wraps and no can no letting things out before you actually see the uh, whoever we sign with a scarf above the head. But unfortunately, <laughs> some somebody helping 
uh, make the stadium look a bit better than us in the day, so it was unfortunate. So, uh, no great, but uh, hopefully we can get can get that deal done in the next 24 hours, I hope. How much trouble would you have been in if social media had been around when you were were playing? Honestly, me and a few of the boys actually laugh about that now, you know what I mean? Because some of the nights that we had were unbelievable off the scale. (laughs) Um, And if there was social media in the days, generally I would have had to stay in every weekend, I think, because that would have been the safest bet. But we did, you know, it was part of the team spirit, you know, part of the team bonding and that. And I'm not saying it was go and have a drink every weekend, but can go and do something together. But obviously when you're all together and you're in the one place, um, and obviously we went out in Edinburgh quite a bit, um, we probably would have been with a wee bit of bother, to be fair, with some of the boys' antics on a night out. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll definitely get to that. Uh, before we do, obviously what Mark is mentioning and, and what you're referring to in terms of the football this weekend is, of course, your testimonial match, which will be Hart Midlovian against Stoke City. Um, the English Championship side visit Tynecastle to face Robbie Nielsen's first team, and that's on Saturday which is July the 23rd at 3 o'clock. Um, so we'll see one of Ryan's international teammates, Mr. Harry Souter, brother of John, of course. I believe he's still part of the senior side there. I know he's been linked elsewhere. Harry Clark was on loan um, from Arsenal at Hibs in Ross County last season. He's now at Stoke City as well. So looking to be a big game. It's the again the big game before the season starts. So... I'm looking forward to it. It'll be quite a big test as well, won't it, Mark? I'm just disappointed that um, the, the game wasn't on a Tuesday night down at Stoke because it would have screwed everybody because the weather's so hot that you can just say on a cold Tuesday night down at Stoke, Gary Lockerty's <laughs> testimonial. But it'll be a good game. I'm looking forward to to, to watching it. Hopefully it'll be on, on Hearts TV um, this weekend. Will. I think you've got, yeah, you've got yes. more information I- about that. I don't know if that's been confirmed yet. So you can, of course, buy tickets for the game. £12 for adults, £6 for concessions. Um, under 16s, I think it's £4 for under 13. So pretty decent value for a day out. And hopefully the sun is still shining. So that's quite a nice one. And you can maybe take in a few beers. Of course, we don't encourage that. And Gary Locke would not encourage that. Not these days. Maybe back in his playing <laughs> days. Um, but we will, of course, have it on Hearts TV as well. I believe the full details will be posted soon. By the time this is out, they might be posted, but there will be a pay-per-view option on Hearts TV. So if you really want to put yourself through it, you can listen to myself and Jimmy Sanderson. Um, that's maybe when everyone's turned off. Lucky, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what, what's the deal with, with testimonials um, as from a financial perspective because you can't you've got to have other people form a committee and you can't really get too involved what's the 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 deal when you've got your own testimonial and and how much involvement can you actually have out with uh, playing in the game be fair none um you know i i've genuinely just kind of been told to turn up to the game on saturday you know you've got a testimonial (laughs) committee but they they deal with everything you know you're not allowed to get involved at all so obviously I'm not really allowed to say too much about it. I'm not really allowed to talk about it. So you would have to oh, so you break well, right this, will, this, will, this will be a great hour. I know that, that that's I think that's basically the rules. Um you know, you're not allowed to get involved at all. So um and even at the game, you know, I've not got any intentions of playing in the game simply because it's a big game for the team to prepare. We've got a week before the start of the new season. So for me, you know, I'm, I'm obviously humbled and, and honoured that 
Dan and the, the club decided to give me a testimonial year. But for me, the most important thing on Saturday is that the team get prepared for the new season starting. Does Does Rudy know that he's not getting a start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's, as I say, it's good to you know ex players that I've worked with and obviously ex teammates to come along. Yeah, there's a lot of them making a better effort than others to get there. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm over the moon that all these boys have got to turn up. And, uh, I, was you know just, that, I was just surprised that you said the tickets were 14 quid. He's trying to charge me 32 to go to the game. Uh, <laughs> he's even getting the price wrong. No, they're 12 quid. He's trying to come out and be adding a £2 onto the ticket. You know what I mean? That's, it's embarrassing. It's Q80, Q80 dollars. Uh, That's what he works in. Honestly, it's, it's all the years in like, Q8 and Qatar and all that. They've went to his head, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but then, as I say, I'm not sure if the if the blowfly is going to turn up. But if he does, it'd be nice to see him. <laughs> if I can make it, I'll be there. I'll be there if I can make it. Good lad. But obviously, Gary can't get too involved, but we do encourage everyone who can to to get along to the game. I think it will be a good day. It's um, well deserved. I think more than 20 years of service to the club, and you know, playing, coaching. Ambassador, tea lady, I don't know what other jobs you've had at Hearts, but one I'm in, sure. One in, you forgot one in, get a couple of trophies in there, get, make sure you get that in there. <laughs> of course, of course, naturally. So if you can get along, get on the Hearts website, get yourself a ticket. If you are, of course, remote and you can't get there, you're overseas, then you can tune in via Hearts TV as well. Keep an eye on the Hearts Twitter page, you'll get all the info. Um, but we're not here just to talk about that. We're here to talk about all things Gary Locke and over the next hour or so, I'm sure we'll have some stories to get through. Right, first up, Gary. So, well, you're obviously well-known um, as a, a Hearts legend these days. You've, you've been with the club, as we mentioned, over more than 20 years in different roles. But take us back to when you first joined. So back in 1990, uh, a young Bonnie Rig lad who... Played for Hutchie Vale and was desperate to potentially attract the interest of his boyhood heroes. How did the the move to Hearts first come about? Yeah, it was just uh, basically like any kid. I was playing uh, with Hutchie Vale in Edinburgh. Uh, obviously, in those days as well, you could play with the school team. And, um, you know, I trained at a few clubs before Hearts actually came in for me. Um, I think probably Hearts were about the last club, to be honest with you, that, that eventually asked me to go and train with them. And it was Ian Grassick. It was at a tournament, believe it or not, through in Glasgow, the Easter Craigs tournament. We went through there, we won it. And uh, I remember it, you know, like yesterday, I got home, my dad had a wee card, had basically Ian Grassick card in the bullion, and he uh, asked me to go into Tincastle to train. Uh, and believe it or not, I think at that time, you know, although Hearts had brought through Gary Mackay, Davey Bowman, and that, they didn't really have a, a youth setup like how it is now. So when I first went in, we actually trained on the pitch, believe it or not, at Tincastle. There was only maybe about 10 of us. And it was just lads for all different age groups. We all trained together with uh, Kenny Brown. His name was... Um, and then after that, obviously, uh, it was a S forum, it was called at the time. And I never signed an S forum because I used to go down to Man United quite a bit in the school holidays and that. Uh, and if you signed an S form, it meant I wouldn't have been able to do that. So I, I went down to Middlesbrough, King, they went down to Man United, um, and I trained with them and, and really enjoyed it. But obviously, my heart was always set on signing for Hearts. And then I got up when I was kind of halfway through fourth year at school, I got offered a, a YTS two year contract. So I signed that, signed the S form, and uh, you know, 
I ended up going into Hearts as soon as I left school at 16. So when you first became part of the, the senior side, not when you first started playing, I think Joe Jordan was, was manager, wasn't he? I Joe was the manager when I, when I signed to go in on the YTS and obviously Sandy Clark was in charge of the reserves in the under-18 team. So that was the, the kind of coaching staff when I first went in, Frank Connor, he was assistant. So what was it like back then and how how different is it? I know it's, you know, it's only 32 years ago, but what's the difference now? You know, you've been around the club and other clubs as well, seen younger players come through in more recent years. What what was it like back then and how does that compare to the, the more modern day? Yeah, it was completely different. I mean, like you had a lot of responsibility on your shoulders when you were on the ground staff because we all basically had individual jobs to do. So in those days, it was like the old terracing and that. So on a Monday morning, if Hearts had had a home game, you basically didn't train on a Monday morning. You just went out into the terracing and picked up like all the litter that all the fans had basically dropped on a on a match day. Uh, nowadays, obviously, we get outside company like cleaners and that coming and do all that. But in those days, that was part of our job. Can you went out, you cleaned the terracing, then we all had jobs to do. So you would do the washing, or you would clean the boots, or you would. Uh, clean the home dressing room, the away dressing room and that. So it kind of gave us a really, really good grounding, I thought. I mean, I know we're never going to go back to the days, but I think as a young lad, basically, you know, Sandy would say to us, if you don't stick in and you didn't put it in at training every day, you might end up doing something like this for a full-time job. So can every day you were getting that hammered home to you that you had to, you know, stick in and do your best. And uh, as I say, we trained every day and, and learned a lot under Sandy Clark and obviously a lot with the first team lads. But uh, in the afternoon, you had your jobs to do and you, basically you were in there till about six, seven o'clock at night. And if the jobs weren't done right, you, you didn't get home till like quite late. So it was a great grounding, I thought. Uh, I think you could bring some of it back nowadays. I know you just the way that the world these days, you couldn't bring a, a lot of it back. But I definitely feel that maybe cleaning the boots and maybe cleaning the changing room and that, should still be part of a young, a young apprentice's sort of football and upbringing, if you like. Lucky, having been around, obviously, when you came through and then having seen players come through, what time do you think was easier to break into a Hearts team? Do you think back then, or do you think now it's a little bit harder for them to break in? No, I think um, it's, a, it's a difficult question, that. I'm actually surprised that you coming out with such a good question, to be fair. Full of surprises, mate. I think every period of getting in the Hearts team would be difficult. I mean, you look at the players that we signed under Vladimir Romanov, you know, yeah. Takis Fisas was a, a European Championship winner. You know, left back, Bednar was class, Skatchel was class. When I was breaking into the team, we had like Alan McLaren, who was one of the best players I had ever played alongside. Just really unlucky I had to retire through injury. But you had like Dave McPherson, John Robertson, Gary Mackay, uh, you know, some absolutely brilliant players for Hearts, John Cahoon. So uh, I don't think there's ever an easy time to break into the team. I'd probably say in the period where Craig Levine was the manager, because there was so much chopping and changing, that might have been a a decent time to maybe be a, a decent young player try to get into the team um, because you know we had such a change in the squad all the time but um, I don't think there's an easy an easy Hearts team to get into um, because all the Hearts teams in the, the past decade have been fully quality you know fully really really good players so uh, I think it's just if you were a young lad 
I think Hearts were always a club that would give a young lad a chance. Uh, and that's maybe been the one disappointment over the last three, four seasons. We've not really had, you know, a lot of youngsters knocking on the manager's door. Um, but certainly in, in my period, your period, uh, Gary Mackay and Robbo and that before us, Hearts had a lot of fantastic young players. And, and one thing about Hearts is you always got an opportunity. And then basically it was up to you. So I wouldn't say there's any period that's been easier to get into the Hearts first team. But if you're a good young player, you'll definitely get the opportunity. And we had Robbie on a couple of weeks ago and he was saying, you know, he wants young players to earn that right. And, you know, it should be an honour to to wear the heart strip, which we all kind of agreed on. But having come through and then having managed, did you see anyone that you thought, you know, did you find it easier to bring players in or younger players coming through? Or did you sort of have sort of Robbie's thing in terms of, Actually, I feel like they need to earn this before I, I can maybe go for it. <laughs> to be player. honest with you, to be honest with you, like I think my my position as a Hearts manager was completely it's different, different yeah. to, to anybody that, like obviously the managers I worked under, because I was basically given a squad of players who were most of them were maybe eighteen and under. We had Jamie Hamill that was slightly older. Ryan Stevenson was slightly older, but he got injured sort of three games into the season. And Jamie McDonald, apart from that, I think the majority of the team was like eight, 19, 18 and under. Danny Wilson was 20, I think. Uh, Dylan might have been 19. But the rest of them were sort of, for me, reserve players that should have been playing in the reserves. But because of the situation the club was in, one, we were lucky still to be, be here. And two, it was like, that's the hand you're dealt. You've, you can't sign any players. We've got a 15-point deduction. Get on with it. And... That was one of the things at the start of that season when I spoke with, Bill, uh, with Billy Brown, obviously, who was my assistant at the time. I looked at the squad and, you know, I was worried because I thought, even without the 15-point deduction, this squad is nowhere near, you know, ready to compete. But credit to the, the young lads, you know, we, we, we worked hard every day at training. Um, obviously, I was worried that, that we might end up getting hammered one night, which happened against Celtic in the Cup. And, you know, that was a really difficult night. Um, but you looked at the squad Celtic had that day and you look at the squad we had and, you know, that that result, potentially we thought that could have happened at the start of the season. And the worry was it might happen, you know, three or four times. But I think at the end of that season, we kind of sat and, and we, were, we were really satisfied. No satisfied because we went, you know, we finished at the bottom and we, we ended up getting relegated. But... Without the 15-point deduction, we would have had a chance of playing in the yeah. playoff. And all the young lads, they maybe weren't good enough for Hearts, but they, they did, for me, improve over that year. Uh, some of them went on to play with Hearts and have good careers. Others, you know, moved down the, down the leagues, which we thought they would have done um, and played with like, uh, teams in the lower league. But credit to every young player that we had that season. You know, every day they gave it their best shot. And as a manager, that's what you can ask for. Taking it back a little bit, uh, Gary, so so your debut May nineteen ninety three, and maybe not as extreme as the circumstances you had to deal with as Hearts manager. But Sandy Clark had a little bit of that challenge in terms of Hearts downsizing, having to try and blood some younger players. And your debut was Sandy Clark's first game as manager, and you were one of four teenagers that um, yep. that played that day. Kevin Thomas, Alan Johnston, and Tommy Harrison, who actually scored that ah. day, were the others. Yep. I mean. 
what was it what was the situation like back then for you getting that first appearance was there a, an element of similarities in terms of the situation you ended up with when when you were in charge no i think it was we were really lucky because obviously sandy um, had been our manager right through our uh, my two years on, on the yts and you know S- sandy firmly believed that we were good players um, and you know he only put us in you know he didn't put us in just because we got on well with him. I think Sandy looked at us and thought, you know what, these young lads are ready to play. And, you know, Tommy made his debut, I think, under um, Joe Jordan. But myself, Alan Johnston, Kevin Thomas, Paul Ritchie, uh, Alan McManus, you know, Sandy kind of put us on the, the first team squad. Um, a lot of us played, you know, when I first went into the team, I played the last game of the season. And then the following season, I made my full debut at Ibrox and then I, I played about 40, 50 games that season. So, you know, Sandy felt we were ready to play. Um, and I think that's been maybe the problem with some of the younger lads that are getting thrown in at the moment. You know, they go into the team, they play a couple of games, they get taken back out and then you can never see them again. Um, so that that's the one thing I'd, I'd love to see in the next couple of seasons is, you know, one of the young lads, maybe Finlay Pollock or somebody along their lines, getting into the first team and getting a regular run of games. But, you know, again, they've got to go into the first team and show that they're good enough to stay there. And, you know, I think Robbie's, you know, put that on record. You know, he's all for giving young lads the chance. But when they go into the first team, they've obviously got to take their opportunity. Um, But for us, you know, it was was a dream come true for me to make my debut. But uh, the season after that, you know, was even better because I managed to get into the team and I stayed in the team for most of that season. Sandy was talking last week, Gary, about the BP Youth Cup, um, May 93, and how he'd phoned Frank Coulston around that time saying how many of the boys are going to be in the Scotland squad, expecting there to be a few, Richie McManus, Kevin Thomas, yourself, Grant Murray, Stuart Callahan. You didn't Callahan, mention Lucky, don't lie. <laughs> and he said none. And, and, and he said none. And and obviously you went on to, to win the Youth Cup with Hearts. My first question is, who was the most talented member of that squad? Was it one of the guys I mentioned or perhaps one of the guys who didn't go on to have a, a decent professional career but was outstanding as a youngster? Well, I think, to be fair, I think collectively we had a really good side. Uh, you know, everybody in the team had certain traits that made the team better. Uh, we, we had a really strong, you know, we played three at the back, with Grant Murray, Paul Ritchie, Al McManus, who were three great defenders. You know, Big Rich was really quick, really aggressive. Al McManus was really aggressive, probably a little bit better on the ball. And Grant Murray kind of just sweep behind them, did a great job for the team. Then kind of, I played centre midfield with we guy Burnley, we Matt Bradley. Uh, he was a really technically, he was a really, really can good you, can player. Can you still call him Bernie after what happened? Uh, I've no idea. To be fair, I, I, I might get absolutely hammered for, for me. But that was his nickname. You know, you I mean, know. we still call him that. So, <laughs> uh, he did great. Big Kevin Thomas did a great job for mm-hmm. us up front. Uh, and then we had Davey Murray on the right. Uh, Paul Weatherston played on the left. So, we had a really, really good side. I wouldn't say there was anybody that st- stood out an absolute mile. Probably the one player, but he never played in that team because he was too old, was Alan Johnston. You know, when we were coming through, technically Alan Johnston was was fantastic. Uh, And, 
came and got the nickname Magic, and he also had the nickname Sticky because he was that skinny. But mm. he was uh, he was a phenomenal player when when we were coming through as youngsters, and obviously he showed that in his career. You know, he went on to play at some massive clubs. It was just disappointing that he left Hearts so quick. But I think the Bosman ruling and that came in and Alan's agent at the time just sent everybody the video of the game at Ibrox where he scored a hat trick yeah, and he went, on, yeah. he went on to be a millionaire. So, <laughs> um, but no, Alan was, for me, Alan was the best technical young player at the Hearts when I was there. Your, uh, has your fashion sense improved any since that photo that I posted oh, yesterday? That, to be fair, that photo was absolutely horrific, wasn't it? But, Jesus that was the fashion at the time, big man. And, Maybe for uh, you, Paul. You looked all right. Uh, just shocking. Uh, I'm not sure about your tie. Your tie was absolutely no. horrific. But then Gowser wears the ties. Yeah, yeah. Right, it just shows you <laughs> fashion, comes, fashion comes back. Eh? But no, nah, <laughs> the days were great. You know, it was brilliant as a young player at Hearts. You know, we, we had a, a great time. And obviously, we all, we all managed to get, most of us managed to get into the team. Um, and I think that's what helped um, when Jim Jeffries came Bad in. Bad ties. <laughs> bad ties, bad ties, aye, bad boots and all the rest of it. But I think when Jim Jeffries came in, you know, we had a bad season all years under Tommy McLean for one reason or another. He didn't, he, he didn't, didn't like you, did it? You, you, nah. you, you quickly try to skip past Tommy McLean before nah, we got to Jeffries. Past, <laughs> I had a note here just to say. We played 40 games, 40 games under Sandy, and then we all played about three games each under Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end of that season, obviously uh, the gaffer Jim Jeffries came in, and he gave us all, you know, a new lease of life and a, another opportunity. And you know, thankfully, most of us took that. Look, Sandy, you know you... Sandy had a wee dig at, at Tommy last week. A wee, he was, a wee well, a big dig. So I mean, you know, we're all we're all about digs here. You know, Gowser gets most of them, but we can. <laughs> oh yeah. So why did he? Why Stop didn't firing into Tommy? Why didn't uh, Why didn't Tommy McLean fancy you or, or some of the other, the younger players after you'd obviously broken into the team and, and done pretty well? I've got I've got no idea. Like, I had huge respect for all the managers that I worked under, and uh, Tommy included. I think Tommy was a manager that I think he felt he was happier with more experienced players in the, in the team. I don't think he, he really trusted any of the young lads. I think that's maybe the, the fairest way of putting it. And you know, the first time I played. In the season under Tommy, you know, it was quite harsh when we went at half time. It was just, we were getting beat 1 0 up at the dodgy, and he's just like, see you, Lockie, you're shite. You're coming <laughs> off and <laughs> getting the shiver, basically. And that was it. And then after that, I didn't play for ages. And then to be fair, he put us kind of back into the team towards the end of the season because the, the team was struggling and we needed to win a couple of games. And then I, I played against Motherwell at Tincastle. We had to win to stay up, believe it or not, which. You know, it's an embarrassing, it's an embarrassing position to be in as a Hearts player. But uh, we went, we got into the team and we won two 0 Final day, stayed up. Um, so obviously we were happy that we stayed up. But you know, it was a season to forget, to be fair, because you know, as a Hearts player, you should never be in that position. I think I remember that game, Lockie. Was that not the one where Gary Mackay uh, had a go at Eamon Bannon because he wasn't going to play him in the team because Eamon was was Tommy's assistant? Uh, I think it, I think there was conversations. I, obviously, as a young lad, I didn't get too involved in that. But I think one or two of the experienced players um, had spoken, saying, "No, Gary has to play in that game." And I think Kai kind of pushed for me to be involved in that game because we kind of knew what it meant to the to the club. Uh, but again, as I say, for me, I never played a lot that season. But for the club to be in that position, can it was it was embarrassing. Can you go on your holidays? And uh, can you go on your holidays with your head down? Because it was sh- a shocking season. 
But luckily, you know, the gaffer came in and then the next again season we were back to where we should be, which was up the top of the league. We got to the cup final, we got into Europe, uh, and for me that's where Hearts should be every season. Well, we'll, we'll move on to the, the next management at Hearts, because certainly more fruitful for you um, when Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown came in. And um, pretty much from then on in, you just basically never played football for anyone else apart from Jim Jeffries, did you? <laughs> to be fair, I had a spell with Nicky Law. When Nicky Law played with Rangers, his dad, yes. he was manager yes. at Bradford, so I had a spell with him. Um, so you played for Nicky Law's uh, dad and your dad. That was... <laughs> yeah. Nicky Law's dad, my dad, Monko, <laughs> uh, my auntie. <laughs> Uh, oh, but Jim Jeffries is often known as your dad, isn't he? That's, that's the nickname yeah. he gets quite yeah, often. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand that one, to be fair. <laughs> but no, I think, you know, we were good for one another. I think he knew what he was getting when he signed me at the clubs that he went to. You know, he knew that I would, I'd be good in the dressing room. You know, I think, well, first and foremost, I think he thought I was a half-decent player, so that helped. Um, but, you know, I had, I had great times under the gaffer and Billy. I loved working with him because they were as honest as the days long. You know, and Gowser's had a spell under them as well, and he'd probably tell you the same. They're great people to work for. Uh, they can go mental at times, don't they get me wrong, but uh, in the main, you know, they're fantastic people to work for. Well, quickly, we've got a few questions that we'll, we'll get to throughout. Um, Callum Haig messaged and said, what was going through your mind um, when you got told you'd be playing for the first team and being captain? And I thought it'd be good to touch on the captaincy side of things because that's pretty rare for someone to be made captain of their club at just 20 years of age how did that come about and was it quite a big shock for you when when Jeffries oh, decided to make you skipper 100% it was a massive shock you know when he, he I'll never forget it. he pulled me on the Thursday morning and normally when the gaffer pulled you into his office <laughs> it was because you had done something wrong <laughs> and I'm sitting thinking oh what was I, what was I doing last weekend did I you know, made, I was thinking, what have I done? I had a night out, was I behaving, <laughs> all the rest of it. And then when I went into his office, you know, Gowser will tell you, he's quite a, you know, he's a big, big guy. He's, and you go in and you're, can he annoy him a wee bit? And he's like, why do you think I've got you in here? And I'm sitting thinking, going, oh no, <laughs> what have I done? And he's like, I'm going to make you captain. And I, when he said it, you know, it was one of the surreal moments you're thinking, like, me? You know, I'm only 20 year old, I'm quite young, uh, I've not really got a lot of experience, um, I, I know I'd played a few games, but he's like, no, I'm going to make the captain, he said, I've come in here, and um, you know, the club struggled for a number of seasons, and I think he just wanted to change it up, and he felt that by making me the captain, it was the start of like, the big changes that he was about to make. Did you feel like you had to change in any type of way once you said that, or did you just feel that... He's now picked me as captain, so I must be doing something right. Or did you have any? Yeah, no, nah, I think I never had to change. You know, I was all, I was always quite a chirpy lad in the dressing room. You know, I, I, I like that I got, I got on really well with all my teammates. Obviously, we had a lot of great experienced players in the dressing room, like Gary Mackay, John Robertson, Alan McLaren, Dave McPherson, who were all a great help uh, to me as a young player. And you know, even when I got made the captain, I was never the type. To, like dismiss what they said to me, you know, if, if they pulled me and uh, said something to me, I always took it on board because you know their advice was was invaluable throughout my throughout my career. But you know, I think he just seen something in me. You know, I, I kind of I trained how I played. You know, I used to get I get wired in at training every day. It probably didn't help me throughout my career with injuries I picked up. 
Um, but I think he's seen, he's seen someone in me, obviously, that I was a bit of a leader on the pitch. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't shy and having a go at people. And, you know, as I say, I wasn't shy and having a go at the older players in the team either. Um, and when he made me captain, looking back on my career, I probably didn't realise at the time just how big an achievement that was. It's not until you, you kind of look back at your career when you're a, and you've got a bit of experience behind you and you think, you know what, that was an unbelievable achievement. Um, but I kind of just took it upon upon my shoulders. I, I tried to lead by example. You know, I was always a, a kind of captain that liked to organise team get-togethers and get the boys out for a bite to eat and go go-kart and all that type of stuff. So um, I did all that and I was really, really lucky that obviously the experienced players in the team, you know, they could easily have went, you know, why why have you got such a young player as a captain? But they all bought into it as well and it made my life so much easier. Now what we really want to know is what was your best Christmas party that you organised and the uh, story from that. Newcastle, without any shadow of doubt. I mean, I got dressed, obviously every year we went fancy dress. So before we'd even left the Waverley, I lost the head, the, the hands, the tail. I basically had about half an outfit left and then... Uh, Gary Mackay knocked my front tooth out because I was <laughs> ta- taking a drink of a Budweiser bottle and he thought it would be great to like, smack the bottom of the Budweiser bottle so I came back looking like Joe Jordan <laughs> <laughs> but it was just a great laugh you know what I mean like as I say some of the things that the boys got up to like I can't even remember who it was somebody was dressed as Spider-Man they were halfway up the time bridge <laughs> after about 15 pints and you're sitting going Ken, I think you'd probably be better coming down for there in case you fall. Uh, <laughs> you had like wee tourists and that taking photographs of like Spider-Man halfway up the time bridge and all that. It, it was just a great laugh, you know, obviously like having a laugh with the boys was was a, a big part in being successful as a team, I felt, you know, even in the dressing room Monday to Friday. It was always a great laugh. Um, but as I say, the fancy dress was great. Um, but there was actually an occasion as well the gaffer will tell you about this, like, we had got beat with Kilmarnock at Rugby Park and we had organised to go to Newcastle for the Christmas night out, I think it was on the Sunday. And at this time, we were second top of the league. We'd been on a great run and obviously we got beat in the game and the gaffer just went, well, you're, not, you're not going to Newcastle. And you're sitting going, you know, we've, we've been on a brilliant run, obviously that was a bad result, but we're still up there. And he's like, nah, no good enough, he's in training tomorrow. So we get to training and obviously, the boys that were one day in the squad on the Saturday, they didn't know that they had cancelled the Christmas night out. So you can imagine we've got to Tincastle in the morning, and he is like steam coming out his ears because he's raging. We got beat the day before, but he's also raging that you know the whole squad's not came in training. So <laughs> he's walking about gone mental. And then the next thing you see, like, Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and all that, <laughs> turning up for training, and he's gone mental, eh? And you're sitting there going, I can't believe the boys haven't taken their fancy dress over. They've all tur- turned up to training dressed as, like, Walt Disney and all that. Uh, and then, as I say, he ran us for about three days. Uh, Christmas was cancelled. And then, to be fair to him, I think we won about six, seven games in a row. And he, he ought... This is what was great about him as much as you know what you were cracking up because he had cancelled the Christmas night out. Around about the March time, we were, we were flying, we were doing really well. He'd organised us to go down to London for the weekend, so that was kind of what he did. Again, as much as he had stopped the Christmas night out, which rightly or wrongly, you know, if we had been near the bottom of the league, 
I could understand it, but you know, we're sitting second top of the league, I think, and lost one game in about 20 games, and he cancelled Christmas, but uh, that was kind of the mark of him as a manager, he always made sure that he, he made, if we did alright for him, he, he made up for it. These are the stories that we're, we're keen on. So, two-parter here. Gary Locke, give me the best story about Ryan McGowan. Ryan McGowan, give me the best story about Gary Locke. Locky first. Gowser. A few stories about Gowser. Um, I'd probably say they thought they whole build up to the cup final. You know, I knew, obviously, like, Gowser was good in the dressing room, and I knew, kind of, you could get in a boot, like, say, Gowser, get in a boot, like, Rudy, the, Andy Webster, the sort of more influential boys. And the whole build up to that was just, it was off the scale, it was such a nervous occasion. You could see it in a lot of the players in the training that week. You know, we stayed at Tank Castle and you could just see it was a different atmosphere. But probably the day after it would be that we have our memory of Gowser because, you know, I'd say to him, look, if we win this, you're not going to believe the reaction of the fans. Obviously, I'd experienced it in 98 and I was a fan in 2006. <laughs> and uh, we went to the City Chambers and Obviously, I'm feeding all the boys for drink, and then we gets back, and I sort of says to him, I says, look, Sunday night, my mate Gary McQuinney has organised an like a night out at <laughs> Dalkey's Miners Club. You need to come. <laughs> and when he came, he came in the door, and him and Danny, Danny Granger's feet never touched the carpet. As soon as he came in, they just got crowd soft all the way to the stage. And he's sitting looking at me as if to say, what is going on here? It was just a phenomenal <laughs> night. And uh, as I say, my everlasting memory is just Gowser's face when he's getting crowd sourced across about 400 people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a little bit of a difference because he said, My mates organized a bit of a do, don't worry about it. It'll be because there was a lot of build up about afterwards how it would be sort of celebrated because obviously how he beat Hibs, everyone was a little bit wary about going out to town. So Lockie had called me on the Sunday after the parade and said, Listen, just come up to Woodburn Club. It's just a couple of my mates, you, you know, we have a quiet one, you have a good night, no one's going to bother you. So me and Danny headed up there, <laughs> so quiet, and then we opened those doors, like you said, it was like 400 plus Hearts fans just going berserk, and it was probably one of the best nights I've ever had that night, from what I can remember, and the photos <laughs> I still get seen. But um, so there's actually a photo on Twitter, um, Lockie, of... Me and Danny crowd surfing. I need to find it. I think it's sent that. to me every hour. Uh, posted that before, haven't you? Yeah, it gets sent every every now and again, but that was definitely a good night. What's your tale about Lockie, Gozer? Oh, I don't know. Maybe after the semi final when we beat Celtic and everyone was on such a high coming into the change rooms and there was beers and music and everything and everyone was celebrating. And then Lockie was just sitting in the corner, which is very unlike him. and just sort of in his own little place. And I remember sort of music stopped and everyone's like, Lockie, what's up? <laughs> we've won that game. Like, congratulations, but we better fucking win the next one. <laughs> I can't have those <laughs> be- I can't have them beating us. So I have to like, immigrate out to Australia. And that was it from pretty much from as once Lockie said that to, you know, before the cup final, that was all that if we had a bad training session or a bad game, Lockie would <laughs> be wandering around the changing rooms going, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. It's the fucking... The cup final was a big one. Don't worry about anything that's going on between now and then. Just make sure you're ready for the cup final. Ready for the cup final. Can't lose that one. Can't lose that. And looking back, that was huge. You know, it, it was, I think, you know, 
hindsight's a wonderful thing and looking back at the two different squads as you know the, the way that the results went is is different but we knew going into that game how much it meant to you know people like Lockie and and the thousands of Hearts fans that were out there and um, I think you know it showed in the way that we performed on the day that we knew what was at stake and what was online. Talking about cup finals, as a player, you were certainly around the club when when quite a few took place. Um, going back to 1996, Captain Hearts leading them out of Hamden Park in a cup final. That must have been um, your proudest moment at that point. Without a shadow of a doubt, and it's probably, see when I look back at my career, it's probably the reason that I did my cruciate in the cup final, because although, you know, you maybe didn't see it in the way that I played, you know, because I was only on the pitch for about 10 minutes, but mm-hmm. was, when Gascoigne played for Tottenham against Nottingham Forest in the cup final, mm-hmm. yeah, you could see that he was just so hyped up for the game, he made a couple of ridiculous challenges and ended up doing his cruciate. I was I was probably the same as him in, in terms of I got probably too hyped up for the game. I was kind of you know you, you think about everything. Gowser will probably tell you in the build up to the final. I'm sitting on to myself, you know, youngest ever Hearts captain. How good a feeling just got to be if I'm the man to go and lift the cup. And I probably just got myself too not carried away because I, I wasn't that type of guy. But I think I just got myself too worked up. And I put too much maybe pressure on my own shoulders and I kind of went out and not through anybody's fault, I just went to change direction. My studs caught in the turf and I knew seven minutes into the game, I think it was, I knew I'd done something bad because I'd, I'd never kind of never been really injured up until that point. And I just felt it was a horrible, horrible pain in my knee and I knew something was seriously wrong. But I tried to play on. And about a minute later, I collapsed again, and and basically that was the end of my my cup final. And it was, I went for like the ultimate high in terms of you know being the proudest guy in the world, leading out your your team, twenty years of age, youngest ever captain, and then ten, I mean, ten minutes. My only claim to fame that day is I came off when it was nil nil. No, we were playing against a, a world class Rangers team, and on their day they were capable of doing that to anybody. Uh, but I was at, kind of went for the ultimate high, and I've never, I've generally never felt so low. Uh, probably the only time I felt as low as that was when I faced the administrators, and they told me that you know if Hearts didn't raise one point six million pounds, we're not going to have a club. Um, they're the two lowest days I've ever had in football, and uh, obviously I missed the two cup finals after that, which was uh, kind of dagger to the heart, if you like, but. Obviously in '98, but the boys winning it kind of made up for that because for me it wasn't about Gary Locke missing the cup final. All that mattered in '98 was Hearts winning the cup, and you know, fortunately for us, all the, the boys that played that day went out and did that. Just want to jump in here a second, Laura, if you don't mind, Gary. Is it like an out of body experience when you're not really in control of your emotions because you're so hyped up? Were you able to kind of control what you were doing, or was it just like you were on autopilot? No, I think. I think, you know, I knew what I was doing. It was just one of them. I just think I was I was so excited, you know. Obviously, the build-up to the game, it was usual for me at any cup final. You know, you, you have to get about four or 500 tickets. There was buses for Bonnerig leaving for every pub. Um, you know, and I knew them all, my family, my friends, everybody was there. So when you're warming up, you obviously know where they are. So you're kind of looking for them in the warm-up. And uh, everybody's obviously 
buzzing, uh, thinking that you're going to go and win the cup or the rest of it. Um, and as I say, I just think I probably got too hyped up. You know, I got too worked up for the game, uh, and that's probably the reason uh, why I did my my cruciate. And the devastating thing for me, it wasn't just the fact that we lost the final as badly as we did, and obviously I missed the game. But I was I was in the Scotland under twenty ones at that time as well, and we had got to the European Championship semi finals. And we were playing Spain in the semi-final in that summer, so I missed all that as well. So it was uh, kind of it was it was devastating to miss out on obviously the cup final with Hearts, but uh, it was devastating as well to miss out on the, the Scotland under twenty ones because obviously we'd done great to get to the semi-final. In terms of the injury, <clears throat> I, I want to ask you about how you kind of dealt with being out for such a long period of time, and obviously it wasn't the the first time in your career because we had uh, Mr. Andy Driver on and. His answer, to me, was quite surprisingly, but maybe to you and Gowser it wasn't because you maybe know him better than I do, but he loved being out injured because he just said he used to go out. <laughs> he just used to go out with his mates uptown all the time. Um, I'm not quite sure that you would have felt the exact same. Though. What was it like, especially at that age, obviously being quite young, the first time you'd had a prolonged period out of the team like that? No, to be fair, I hated being injured there. And as I say, I did pick up a lot of injuries in my career and a lot of it was self-inflicted, you know, I'd, I'd go for tackles that I had actually no chance of getting the ball um, and you ended up, like, injuring yourself and you look back and the more experience you get, you know, when I moved to Kilmarnock, for example, I would never have flew into the tackles that I flew into with hearts, but I think that was just the, the sort of fan in you as well, you know, just desperate to win every game, although, you know, I wanted to win every game with Kilmarnock as well, but you're a wee bit older, a wee bit wiser, a wee bit more experienced, so you you kind of read the game better. Um, but, you know, I hated being injured. The, the only thing for me when, it, when I was injured, I went to the game with like, my dad and my mates, and probably that didn't help either because you kind, I never forgot that I was a Hearts player, but you're kind of, you're doing your rehab all week with Alan Ray, the physio, but on the Saturday, especially early in my injury, you've not got anything to look forward to because you know that you're not going to be playing in the game, so, I'd just kind of just do what all the fans would do. I would go on, on the bus. I would go to, away from home, you know, I'd have a couple of beers. And if Hearts win, you know, I'd have a couple of beers. <laughs> it probably didn't help me because I'm sitting going, you know, I'm, I'm just behaving like a fan again. And it was probably, I went to a derby game and obviously I, was, I sat in a stupid seat. I was sitting in the wheat field, but it was when the, the Gorgi Road end was basically under reconstruction. So, uh, a Hibs fan spotted me and he was rubbing his knee and kind of gave me a bit of stick kind of the whole 90 minutes and then I think we scored late on and I stupidly got up gave the guy the fingers all that and I didn't realise there was a photographer taking photos of me so on the Monday I went in and I, had, I was on the front page of every paper eh, like Hearts captain could have caused a riot blah 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 and then the gaffer pulled me in he's like right, that's it you can forget going to the football with your mates you're the captain of the club, uh, you need to stop behaving like you're the captain of the club. And that was a, a big wake-up call for me. That was probably the only mistake I'd made early in my career. Uh, but it was certainly a wake-up call. And then after that, I just travelled with the team every week and uh, had to start behaving. Look, you just won about 98. How did that feel for you? You know, you just said how you know hard it was for you to sort of step away from that. You know, being a, such a massive fan, being injured, club captain... How did you approach that cup final? It was a kind of... The, the, the week up to it, Gowser, was mixed emotions because the boys went down to England uh, to prepare for the game and the gaffer had said, like, you're going to stay in Edinburgh. 
you're going to get treatment basically 24-7 and I'll give you to Wednesday to kind of prove your fitness. So early in the week, I'm thinking, I've got a wee chance. I knew that it was like an outside chance, but I'm like, I've got a wee chance. And he said to me, you know, if you're fit, it's a good chance you'll play. And if you didn't play, you'll definitely be involved. And then on the Wednesday, the boys came back up the road and I knew the Wednesday night, I ran during the day and my knee was, it just felt, you know what it's like, you got a knee injury and your knee's a bit weak and it's a bit unstable. And it was one of them, you know, I could have easily done what Beats done <laughs> in the final and said, I'm all right. You know, we put Beats on the cup final. He could have run. Um, and I could have done that, you know, I could have said, look, I'll be all right. And then you're 10 minutes into the game, you have to come off, we have to use a sub. And obviously in the days, you've only got three subs. So, but for me, it was always about the team. It was never about Gary Locke, it was about the team and it was about Hearts winning the cup. So, I went for kind of, again, another dagger to the heart with kind of Wednesday night, Thursday morning. I knew I wasn't fit. As soon as the gaffer spoke to me, you know, I was as honest as I could be. I said, look, I'm not fit. There isn't, any, isn't even any point in me joining and training this morning because I'm not fit for the game. So it was another crushing blow because I'd missed the League Cup final, the 4-3 game, through my knee. And I was missing this one through my knee. And then he kind of perked me up a bit and he's like, look, you're not going to make the game but you're the club captain, you know, you're great with all the boys, just, we want you just to basically prepare for the game as if you're playing. And that's what I did, you know, I was in the changing rooms uh, with all the lads before the game, g everybody up as I used to do if I was playing, getting in and around all the boys, you know, telling them how important it was and we'd be heroes if we won it and all the rest of it. And, you know, I loved the weekend just like any other Hearts fan because I'd seen Hearts win a trophy, you know, and that was something that I, I wanted to see all my life. Uh, I was lucky to be part of it, uh, although I didn't play. Um, but for me that day, it was just all about Hearts winning the cup, and we managed to do that. And it was a, it was an incre- incredible uh, summer that we had after that. Now, can you clear something up? Were you told not to come on the pitch after the game? We were. I believe it or not, it was. A, I'll never forget that as well. To the day I die, it was a. We were obviously you're so elated. I mean, I'm like any Hearts fan. Yeah, I'm. In the tunnel area, we're all cuddling, kissing each other. Or the, because we had like Katongo, Lee Mako, um, Alan McManus, Neil Point, and there was a few years that had obviously played in the, the earlier rounds. Uh, and we obviously, they, they were never made the squad for the cup final because in the days it was only, what, three subs, I think it was. So we were absolutely ecstatic and we were just desperate to get out to the pitch to see, obviously, all the boys first and foremost, all the backroom staff that came over, really close-knit. Um, and this this idiot for the SFA with glasses on, he's like, you know, you can't <laughs> go on the pitch. <laughs> and I'm looking at him, and honestly, I felt like just running through him. And I'm like, can he get on the pitch? This is like, we're part of the squad. And he's like, no, if you go on the pitch, you're on, you're on uh, incite a riot. Because <laughs> the Rangers fans are on this side of the stadium. If you just go out, you might uh, encourage them to run on the pitch. And I, I can't really repeat what I said to the guy, eh? but I'm like, you, get out the road. And then next thing, uh, Chris Robinson and the gaffer came in to do an interview with Chick Young. And to be fair to Chick Young, uh, he was saying, this is a disgrace. You need to let these boys on the park. These boys deserve to be out there as much as the boys have played today. And then basically Chris Robinson said to the guy, look, if you didn't let them on the pitch, there'll not be a presentation until they're on the pitch, so you're better just letting them on. And then, obviously, we shoved this guy out the road. We got on the pitch. And the first 
memory I had of getting on the pitch was watching my twin brother doing cartwheels on the park because <laughs> he'd, in, he'd invaded the pitch and got on the pitch before me. So that's his claim to fame. He was on the pitch before I was in the 98 Cup final. So, and then after that, obviously, he gets back into the hearts end and that, I just kind of made a beeline for like Big Davey Weir. Uh, and then the gaffer, Billy, see all the boys. It was just so emotional. Um, and then obviously we went over to the Hearts fans and I seen a lot of my mates and my family and all that. And uh, it was a it was a really, really emotional day, to be fair. Found it difficult to hold the tears in, but it was just such an emotional day. Especially when you'd been through all the all the knocks of following Hearts, you know, Dens Park, Airdrie semi-finals, St Mirren semi-finals. We'd been so disappointing in all the big games, so eventually get the monkey off the club's back was a great achievement. I remember phoning Dougie Dalglish that week in the build-up, Lockie, and I, we came up with an idea at Radio 4 that why why don't we do live coverage of the parade from the bus, if possible, into Bill Barclay's show? And and they agreed, and we were up the back of the bus. Um, and that, 98 for me, and I'll be interested to get your thoughts, 98 for me will always be better than anything, including yep. 2012. And I know... You're a massive Hearts fan like we all are. Um, for me, 98 was, was nothing can ever top that. But I thought the Sunday was was just as good. It was you you couldn't explain that to anybody and second guess what that was going to be. Coming down the mound along Princess Street, Haymarket, Gorgie Road, Tyne Castle. What was that like for you on the Sunday nah, after the celebrations on no, Sunday? No, you're you're bang on as a as a fan. Uh, that's that is definitely one of the best experiences I've ever had. Obviously, I've been really lucky to do it. I've seen it three times, but I've been involved twice, and it is a phenomenal feeling when you come out the city chambers and you just everywhere you look, it's just maroon and white. And I think just to see so many happy people, um, because obviously, like as a Hearts fan, you know it's 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 no good times all the time. But when the good times come, I think that's it's a special moment because the fans do enjoy it that, that a little bit more you know you kind of you, you follow the old forum they win trophies every season um, kind of, sometimes they didn't even really celebrate that much whereas as a Hearts fan you know you're not used to seeing us winning something all the time so when it does happen um, it's absolutely phenomenal and that's probably the best way of describing it you know on the, the open deck bus we're really fortunate because we seem to get the weather as well and just to see the streets of Edinburgh covered mm. in so many fans and, you know, every age group, you know, for sort of wee kids all the way up to grands and granddads and that, uh, it's just a great feeling to be involved in it. And it's great that you've put a smile on so many people's faces. Um, I think that's probably the, the best way to describe it. Jim Jeffries tells a wonderful story how he's, he's, he's pished like you all are. So the morning after, he's going to Boots, I think, on Princess Street, and he's buying whatever it is for the hangover cure, paracetamol or, or whatever. And this guy is even more drunk than he is. And he kind of wakes from his stumble and he looks up and he goes, God bless that Jim Jeffries. Completely oblivious to the fact that Jim Jeffries had just walked by him. What's your story from the, the night of and then the morning after 1998? Something to do with uh, waking up at Robbo's, perhaps? Uh, to be fair, there was a few years ended up at Robbo's. Um, as I say, I had a big enough house to host the whole team, so <laughs> most of us kind of went back there. And uh, it's all those goal bonuses, just, eh? Yeah, I just remember like it was just a fantastic night. We ended up in his pub actually, which was obviously the old green tree just under the bridge in Gorgie. 
then we all back, went back to his house. Uh, we're up to the early hours in the morning. I just remember getting up. Uh, I woke him up by spraying a can of tenants lager all over his head. <laughs> his wife at the, at the time, you know, she was cracking up because obviously the, the bed covers and that were covered in, in alcohol. But I can just remember him saying, we need to be at Tin Castle for like half past ten. And this was like quarter to ten. And we all still had our suits and that on. So it was like, I had to uh, get a taxi back uh, to Bonnerig. I went into my mum's, I picked up my tracksuit, got that on. Um, I think I got a taxi back into uh, Tin Castle. And then obviously we didn't know what, what to expect that day. It was, uh, it was just a case of the manager says, we've gone down to the city chambers for a for a reception with uh, the Lord Provost. So we went down there, that was fantastic. And then we came out. Uh, obviously that was my first experience in the open deck bus and that. And it was, a, it was a day that I'll remember for the rest of my life. You know, it was phenomenal. And then getting back to Tin Castle, the whole stadium was was chock-a-block with people. Uh, we went out with the cup, uh, we celebrated, and then on the Sunday, I went back to Lonehead at night with my with my mates and uh, had another brilliant night. Uh, it was just great to see everybody so happy. So that brings us to the end of the first part of our chat with Gary Locke, who's just been telling us about his playing career with Hearts up until that cup final in 98. We will be back with a second part uh, very soon. Keep an eye on, of course, the podcast apps that you use. We'll have part two very soon as we look ahead to Gary's uh, return to Hearts, his coaching career and what's happened since then. Until then, thanks for tuning in. You're my daddy, 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 daddy. You're my daddy, 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 daddy. Make him famous, famous, cause he's number one Mr. Fix-It when you need it, get the job done Get him riled up, then he pipes him down Take one for the team so that we can win the crown He likes to play it rough, with that tough love And when we're going down, he will come and rise above Yeah, he's got my back, till we win the game Even when I'm wrong, he will always take the blame Who's my daddy, 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 daddy? Who's my daddy, 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 daddy? I'm your daddy, 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 daddy.